Welcome back to the Deadology Podcast from Pencil Hill Studio in New Paltz, New York. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Today, September 13th, 2023, is the seventh episode of the podcast, and we'll be taking a look at September 18th, 1987, the miraculous Madison Square Garden Morning Dew. So this show, um, if I look back, um, I, I was there obviously on September 18, 1987. If I look back at my touring days, um, this show might not make my top 10. But that morning, the Watchtower Morning Dew is the most thrilling moment I've ever seen at any live event. I wouldn't trade it in for anything. So we're going to take a look at, at that show and the great Watchtower Morning Dew uh, but let's take a step back to April 1987, the first Northeast tour the Grateful Dead did that year. And of course, Jerry Garcia had a miraculous comeback from his his coma in 1986 after the Dylan Dead show in uh, RFK uh, Stadium. Uh, Garcia went into a coma. It was actually life-threatening. It was pretty serious. Uh, Jerry was in terrible health. And that's why I use the word miraculous, because he was back with the... Uh, doing a Jerry Garcia band in about two, two months after the coma with help from uh, Merle Saunders, helped him relearn to play guitar. And it's just an incredible thing that he came back that quick. But that was Jerry. He lived for his music. So 1987 rolls around. They, uh, they record In the Dark, which obviously would go on to great success early in the year. And then when they hit um, the Northeast in April 87, the first shows were in Hampton, um, then they went went up to Hartford. I caught a couple of shows up there. The crowds were off the hook like never before with the Grateful Dead. Um, you know, the crowds were always enthusiastic, but now the the noise and the volume was like double, triple what it used to be. They were almost like the Beatles in 1966. It was pretty close to close to that. So it was a new, it was a new thing for them to deal with the uh, the amazing response from the crowd. For instance, if they're playing, if they were playing, I remember they were playing Tennessee Jet in Hartford, and Jerry would be uh, drink all day, rock all night, and the crowd would explode like he just parted the Red Sea. So it was like complete, really over enthusiasm. Um, the Grateful Dead didn't even have to be good to get thunderous applause. So it was it was interesting how it worked. On one hand, uh, the enthusiasm pushed him to greater heights and really helped. Jerry out, especially as he's coming back and trying to regain his chops on stage live. But it also hindered them a little bit, I believe, because it was, I mean, the crowd was that loud. They didn't have to be, even be good. They didn't even have to earn the applause. So it, it was kind of like a double-edged sword. Um, you know, you always want the crowd to be enthusiastic, but it was so, so loud that I think at sometimes it may have hindered them a little bit. Uh, so they had a, a great, great run, a lot of exciting stuff on that uh first Northeast tour and then the Dylan Dead shows they did uh, six shows over the summer and that was like a, a dream come true for anybody who liked Dylan it was a, a for the Grateful Dead to play with Bob Dylan and I think those uh, those shows are underrated maybe misunderstood on a future episode of uh, the Deadology podcast I'm going to go into the Dylan Dead stuff but um, the, the Giant Stadium show July 12th 1987 uh Probably the concert of the year it was it was like that great what uh, what the Dead did with Dylan that night, so there was a lot of great stuff that did come out of that um, them getting together Dylan Dead, 
And then, you know, they continued, played some great stuff over the summer out west. Uh, they did a great show in Utah. And then they come back to the Northeast. And the enthusiasm, because they're, they're and on this Northeast tour, they're playing Providence. Uh, after the Madison Square Garden, they'd be playing Philly. So they were playing, like, their most, to their most loyal fan bases, the loudest indoor arenas uh, that they could play. So the excitement was just off the hook at these shows. And um, coming into the five-night run at Madison Square Garden, uh, two uh, two important things happened. Uh, in the Dark went platinum, reaching a million in sales. Pretty incredible, very quick for a Grateful Dead album. And Touch of Grey uh, entered the Billboard Top 10 chart, their first, uh, first song ever to do that. So when they came into Madison Square Garden, the crowd was insane. But that Friday night, uh, September 18, 1987, there was just something about the energy and anticipation for that show that was unparalleled, maybe in Grateful Dead history. And before the uh, Madison Square Garden, the Friday night show there, the Bob Weir and Jerry Garcia appeared on Late Night with David Letterman. And it was uh, a, a, a wonderful appearance. Um, the, 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 they were fun. Jerry and Bob were funny. They looked great. Um, they, they played with Letterman's band. They did uh, When I Paint My Masterpiece, a very cool version, and a great interaction between Letterman and Garcia and Weir. And one of the funny things, at the end, they did uh, a parlor trick. Uh, Weir did a little thing. He called over some of uh, Letterman's band, Paul Schaefer, and they did this silly thing where they did a little levitation of uh, Garcia while he was sitting in the chair. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> Not the uh, don't try this trick at home, folks. The uh, the, the parlor trick, they called it. Um, and when the Grateful Dead opened up the following night, the uh, first thing Lesh, Lesh said to the audience was, hey, Rocky, let's let's levitate Garcia. And the crowd went nuts. Obviously, most of the people saw the Letterman show from the night before. So it just added to all the hoopla of the night. And uh, a couple of pers- personal things uh, leading up to that uh, show. My friend Doug, who is one of the uh, b- big tapers out there for, for many years, the guy who I got all my bootlegs from, one of my best friends. Um, I didn't go to the show with him uh, that night. He came from, I believe, Hofstra with another taper friend. They had their taping equipment, but they didn't have tickets. This was the toughest ticket in town, as tough a ticket as ever for the Grateful Dead. And... Um, the fact that he didn't have one was amazing. He went th- went through every channel to try to get one. Uh, finally, he he knew somebody in the Fell Forum. He had a, a contact there. He called him up, said, "Hey, you got to get me into the Fell Forum. I got to try to get into the garden somehow." And he actually, you know, they, they brought him into the Fell Forum with the taping equipment and everything. And he got into a, some side entrance in Madison Square Garden, but it was a half hour before they were letting people in. So, obviously, if they caught him in there, he would get kicked right out. So, they went to a bathroom to hide out, and uh, and a maintenance guy comes into the bathroom. At this point, they had to stand up on the toilet so that the maintenance guy w- wouldn't see them. And luckily, they, they didn't breathe. There there was no heartbeat in there. Maintenance guy did his thing, went in and out, and uh, a half hour passed, and then they were they were in. Man, it was a funny story. I just Every time I listened to that tape, I... I picture my friend Doug standing on a toilet bowl, uh, trying, you know, just willing himself not to get caught. 
if he did get caught, that guy was incredible. You couldn't stop him from seeing Jerry or taping Jerry. He would have, he would have found the way in anyway, but it worked out pretty good. And uh, for me personally, I came from New Paltz that night. It was, it was just such an exciting time. Tough ticket, but I had uh, connections with a, a ticket ticket agency in, uh, in, the, in the area. It was in, uh, I think, Fort Lee, New Jersey. And um, I got tickets for me and the girl I was dating. She wasn't a deadhead, but she enjoyed going to concerts. Um, two 18th row tickets for $100. Pretty incredible, you know, uh, especially how... You know how in demand that that Friday night ticket was. I, w- with the price of tickets today, I still wish I had that connection. But um, September eighteenth, nineteen eighty seven, the the Grateful Dead come on stage, and the, there's just such anticipation. It's crazy. It's it's out of control. I've never heard a crowd like that before. And uh, they kick kicked the whole thing off with uh, Hell in a Bucket, decent version. They didn't really. Uh, hit the jam right. Um, the, the the first set, at best, is an average set. Um, so you got you got Hell in a Bucket opener. They go into Sugary. I'm thrilled. You know, one of my favorite songs. Uh, first two jams go by pretty quickly. Not a lot happening, but the the crowd's going nuts for everything at this point. Garcia did cook some solos in that. Uh, did cook a nice solo, good licks in that uh, third jam. Made it a good version. And just uh, touching on Sugar Ree, from 1976 to 1986, that was the golden age for Sugar Ree. Uh, if, if I were to list the, the 30 best versions, all 30 would be coming from that period. Uh, Sugar Ree's one song where Garcia never really regained his ability to jam like he had previously. Um, and, and I think uh, to further uh, bolster my point on that, Jerry Garcia band stopped playing it. It used to be one of the key Jerry Garcia band songs prior to the coma, but they stopped playing it. Um, but anyway, that was a pretty cool version. Walking Blues is next. Sweet version of Candyman. Jerry's singing nice. Uh, like they did the night before, they played When I Paint My Masterpiece. Good version. We're singing. And uh, one comment on the... The masterpiece, as I'm, as I'm going by here, I would have loved to been on the conversation where we're asked Jerry if he could play masterpiece or however it went down, because the Jerry Garcia band for many years had been playing a brilliant masterpiece. Nobody does it like Jerry. It was it was incredible, and uh, it was kind of, you know it's kind of surprising when Weird was doing all the Dylan songs at this time. They were starting to put a lot of Dylan songs in the set. We are probably suggest, suggested, hey, let's do Masterpiece. And I'm sure Jerry must have okayed that he could sing it. But, um, yeah, just uh, Weir did a great version. I'm, you know, I'm not, not knocking Weir's version at all. He he played it kind of true to the way the band or Bob Dylan plays it. Uh, they were great versions. But, of course, Jerry Garcia, man, best version of When I Paint My Masterpiece. But uh, just cool that it was in the lineup. And then they go in, the next song is Bird Song, the sixth song of the set. Uh, at this point, I'm pretty psyched, man. I'm, I can't wait to see how they're closing out the set. It wasn't a long bird song, and then all of a sudden, I forget exactly where he said. He said something like, we'll be back, or just something you know, a very nonchalant uh, ending to the first set. And I, I'm guessing that there had to be an equipment problem. For some reason, they kind of they, they left only after six songs, and there was all this excitement in the air. You know, it was an uh, un, unusual ending, you know, a good, good set of songs, but... Um, that's why I called it an, an average set. You know, nothing extraordinary. You know, I'd say, hey, you got to listen to this. 
So an unassuming first set for what would turn out to be uh, one of the great second sets, one of the most exciting nights in Grateful Dead history. During uh, intermission, there was like an unmistakable, un- unshakable buzz in the air. Just we knew this was going to be a great show. The oil, it was just it was out there thick and heavy in the air. And uh, one of the reasons uh, those of us who followed the tour knew that it was that some great things were going to happen was several songs hadn't been played um, over the last shows and they were kind of due. Among them were Shakedown Street, uh, Terrapin, Terrapin Station, and Morning Dew. So the possibility of all these songs or two of them almost guaranteed that uh, we were looking at a a great uh, second set. And uh, the dead open up with Shakedown Street and... Uh, there's no way, uh, no better song to get a crowd out of their seat and make everybody happy than uh, Shakedown Street. Crowd was loving it, going nuts, totally involved, singing along, dancing. Um, and on this night, the the crowd was the seventh man. Um, and I know in basketball, they like to say, yes, the crowd was great tonight. They were the sixth man out there. But you know, it, it's a little with music. It's a little different. The, this really, the Grateful Dead really were the seventh man out there. Uh, they were clapping along at the right time, singing along, encouraging the band. It really, it was like when you listen to an audience tape. It's like they were the seventh band member, or I should say, we. I was there too. We were all part of that. It was, it was an incredible thing. Uh, probably the greatest night of audience participation I was ever involved with, with a musical event. And every night with the Grateful Dead, anytime you've seen the Grateful Dead, there was audience participation. That was part of part of the allure of uh, Grateful Dead concerts. But on this night, it was the best by far. Incredible. So uh, Shakedown Street uh, gets a second set off to a great start. And then they keep the crowd happy and dancing and keep the show uplifting with Women Are Smarter. The song, which at the time I didn't care for too much, you know, but um, uh, it hit the it hit the mark with the audience. The audience was loving it. Um, not not incredible jamming or anything, but when they came to the end of the song, uh, what happened was kind of magical. You know, Weir Saint Weir was on was on fire during the song. You know, and he's singing at the end, and Jerry and Brent start provide, harmonizing, and the crowd's clapping out the beat, keeping the keeping the beat going, just as these three are singing on stage. It, it, it was it was pretty emotional. It was, it was a cool thing. And then Weir went to his uh, shrieking falsetto, uh, you know, paradise. He, he he really nailed it on that night. And then they came back into the last refrain of "Women Are Smart." It was like so powerful. And um, then the last thing Weir said, sings is. That's right, and then Garcia strikes down on the first qu- on the opening quarter, Terrapin Station, and it was so uh, magical, man. It was just it was, it was brilliant. From this point forward, the show was just off off the hooks, man. It was it was incredible. So uh, they they break into Robert Hunter's epic anthem and perfect on this night. The Garden was just eating it up, and. Um, you know, every every line, every word, it was just it was it was soaked in, and uh, the the guard the the crowd was just brilliant on this night. They never stepped on anything. They they only enhanced the, the music as it was happening. This Terrapin station is purer than heaven's rain, man. It's uh, my, one of my definitely one of my favorite versions. Jerry at this point, Jerry is fully relaxed, channeling all the energy, 
and just singing as, as great as he can. And it just moved from scene to scene and verse to verse, uh, very organically, you know, and it's just Jerry up there under the lights, uh, not much of a bright light on him, but just that one man by himself just channeling all this energy and singing this, this epic anthem to, to a Madison Square Garden audience. It was just, it was so moving. Uh, and the, the Grateful Dead were just completely on this night. Uh, when the jam needed to be dreamlike, uh, dreamy, and, and relaxed, it was there. When the intensity needed to be there, everybody was doing exactly their part and just and playing to the crowd. And the intensity kept building. Inspiration moved me brightly. And uh, when they hit that point with Terrapin, they're all singing, I, I can't figure out. And the crowd was just going nuts at that point. Uh, so they hit the instrumental reframe, one of the best instrumental, uh, you know, refrains on a terrapin. Um, there's pounding it out. You know, it's it's, it's amazing the the drumming, everything about it. And at one point, Brent hits this amazing run of licks, and the garden responds. And then <laughs> Jerry's like, "You want to play that game? Listen to this, young man." Garcia just pulls off the the coolest uh, lick I ever heard in terrapin. And of, of course, the the crowd's going crazy at this point, and uh, they at that after that they just kind of roll it out, you know, let Terrapin play out in its own natural time, amazing version, and then drums, space, and there's nothing in the space unusual that's kind of hinting at what's coming, but everybody in the audience is thinking do or they're thinking something spectacular is waiting around the bend. So space uh, segues into going down the road, and this is not, it's a, it's a good version of going down the road feeling bad, um, but they, they in the past years they played much better versions. This is more of just like a warm-up uh, to kind of set the stage for what's to come, and uh, for, for what it was supposed to be, it worked perfectly, because going down the road is always going to get the crowd out of their seats fired up. Um, even though this isn't a great version with the, with the jams, it, it served its purpose to set up the masterpiece segment of the night. So uh, going down the road, you got that the amazing ending to going down the road, instrumental. And then all of a sudden, it shifts into all along the watchtower. And personally, I was so excited by this because it was the first time uh, seeing the Grateful Dead play all along the watchtower. So we saw the Dylan uh, Dead watchtowers, which were amazing. But uh, this was the fir- first one in, in an indoor stadium, Madison Square Garden, with that excitement uh, to you know channel Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and all along the watchtower. And uh, the, the energy, forget it, man. It was after, after the first verse, Garcia just hits this ripping solo. And, uh, you know, like a, one of the great... Uh, lifting the roof off the place you know um you know it's an overused uh little uh statement but um it felt like the garden roof was going to come flying off because garcia just nailed this this great first solo and then we're in his all-time highest falsetto shriek scream no reason to get excited and um it was just the place was shaking man um if you had a pulse you were getting chills so it was it was an insane moment, and at this point, uh, a couple things are going on in my mind. Um, 
I'm enjoying it. I'm like, this is great. I'm listening to Jerry rip through the other two uh, Watchtower jams, having a great time. But also this, the morning dew was just lingering there in the back of my mind. And I was like, holy shit, if they, if they play Morning Dew right now, it's going to be the coolest thing of all time. And it, I kind I knew it was coming, but it was almost too good to be true kind of kind of thing. You know, just if they play that Morning Dew, I just kept, you know, that, that, that was like the thing going in the back of my mind as I was trying to stay in the moment and enjoy the watchtower. So, they, you know, they come down there. It's at the end of the, the, the last jam in the watchtower is winding down. And then just the, the entrance into the do is crazy, man. It's just, how did the Grateful Dead do it? Like, you know, every, they were the best segue band going song to song. But on a night, they can make the do seem so important. Like, this is the, the greatest thing that, just the way Garcia would roll into Morning Dew. And they would strike down on, on the chord and the place would go nuts. But there was never a response like this night. Uh, it was like everybody in the place had their hearts set on Morning Dew that night. And when they, they went into it, the complete bedlam in Madison Square Garden. So, uh, yeah, Watchtower Dew. Another thing, this is the first Watchtower Dew. Um, as a, a lot of you guys know who saw, and, and gals, a lot of guys and gals know, as you saw the uh, Grateful Dead, 88, 89, all the way to the end, Watchtower Dew wasn't uncommon. That was a day that once they hooked these songs up they the Gravel Dead knew that was a good uh, good combination but this was the first time so man I'm seeing my first watchtower and uh, just my it was a dream to see it go into, into morning dew it was crazy and um so Garcia starts starts singing and I was just so proud of the New York audience on this night it was complete respect for Jerry singing you could hear a pin drop you know and then when he finished his line, if it was emotionally appropriate, the crowd would roar. And Garcia was just feeding off it, man. It was, uh, this is one of the great singing, Gar- Garcia is one of the greatest singers ever. Well, I shouldn't say one, he's the greatest singer ever. And I, I truly believe that. Um, I think that's the most underrated. He just doesn't get enough credit um, for, for singing. Nobody can sing like that, man. And this morning, dude, was nuts. Uh, so Garcia just, at this point, it was, it was, Compared to like earlier in the show, he was singing good. At this point, he was just overwhelmed. and But somehow to, to take all that energy from the audience and channel it, I don't know how you do it, man. It's it's insane. But he was singing the most beautiful melody. It was like a religious service. You know, he'd be singing and then the crowd, they didn't need the cure or anything. It was purely emotional. They would respond when Garcia hit the right notes. And, um, you know, then they go into that the first jam and it's just it's shrieking and powerful and Phil's bombing away and it's it's just like wow man it was like you knew the the, the final jam was was going to be insane it was just it was time out of mind you know uh, um, unbelievable and then you know so then they get they get into the ne- next phase where they're moving towards the the final jam and somehow Jerry's singing is getting even more emotional and the crowd's even cheering louder and louder, but once again, not stepping on his singing at all. So he does four, I guess it doesn't matter anyways at the end. The last one was just so emotive. It just, you know, it just would rip your heart out. And um, after he, right before he goes to the jam, everybody knows that was the last, I guess it doesn't matter the way, by the way, Jerry sang it. And there is just this 
thunderous cheering. It's ridiculous. Um, I wrote about this in a couple of my books, and I, I kind of compared it. It was I, I, I said two things about it. It was as if Jerry um, as announced that everybody in Madison Square Garden had just won the lottery. Like the, the cheer was that loud. Or um, a New York Nick uh, had just hit a three-pointer at the buzzer to win the NBA championship. It, it, the, it was so thunderous, that, uh, that, that applause. And what that did, it kind of set Jerry in, right into the climax of the jam. Now, usually on, on a morning dew, you're going to go from A to Z. Garcia will take it from mellow, slow, mournful, build, build, build. A to Z, the jam would go. On this night, because of all the emotion at Madison Square Garden, it's like he went X to Z, started at X. Now, the, the thing when he started is like, you know, if you're going to do a three-minute jam here and you start with the climax, how could you stay in like that climax crescendo mode for three minutes, it was almost, you know, he, he almost put himself in an impossible box. But maybe that's where Jerry responds best because he invented guitar licks that you'll never hear in any morning do. Somehow he kept, he, you know, he kept uh, the, the jam evolving and he invented bridges and licks. You know, instead of breaking it down and starting all over, he stayed in that peak moment and the jam just stays like in a peak peak flow for like three minutes. It's like one of the most incredible things. Uh, it's nothing that it could ever been preconceived. It was just in the moment when he was overwhelmed uh, by the energy in Madison Square Garden. And once again, he managed to channel it into something unbelievable, man. It's, it's a great jam. So, um, of course, the crowd goes nuts at the end and there's more to come. But just looking at this morning do, um, I would put it about fifth or sixth best ever, you know, definitely the most emotional, greatest moment I've ever seen. Uh, but I'd, I'd probably put a cup, a couple of them ahead, and you know, like Alexandria Palace '74, um, Rochester '80, uh, you know, some of the '77 ones. People love the Cornell one; that definitely could be better. Or you know, uh, but this Madison Square Garden is just there's not nothing like it. It was the you, if you were there, it was the best musical theater you ever seen. It, it was incredible. And also, just put, putting uh, some of these songs in perspective, The Watchtower is very good. But if you want to hear the best, what, what I believe is the best all along The Watchtower, go to March 26th, 1988, uh, Hampton, Virginia. And that's a, I was at that show too, but an incredible Watchtower. You could see that one on YouTube. As you could see, the second set of this uh, September 18th, 1987 show on uh on YouTube, and it's definitely worth taking a look at the Watchtower Morning Dew, and just how Jerry, like the camera's on Jerry, he's up there by himself, just a, a little bit of light on him, so relaxed, it's not smiling Jerry, it's not uh, happy, it's it's like a god up there, just, you know, channeling all, all the energy and uh, and make, making it happen, so an incredible video, and at one point during that do, when it's a couple minutes in, and he's finding these new leads that never existed before. He, he kind of waves his hand almost like a magician, and he was a magician. Um, when, when they talked about levitating Garcia, it would be Garcia that levitated Madison Square Garden on September 18, 1987, on a Friday night. Back in uh, Madison Square Garden, the miraculous morning dew seg segues into good lovin'. Now, usually, uh, my, my favorite 
post-morning dew song for celebration is uh, Sugar Magnolia. That one always works great. But uh, it, was, it was a nice change of pace to hear Good Loving in that slot. A little different. And uh, especially with uh, what was to happen in the middle of Good Lovin' on this tour um, in Providence. Uh, they played Good Lovin', La Bamba, Good Lovin'. I was there. That was the first time that they ever did that. Uh, the La Bamba in the middle just drove Madison. When Garcia broke into that, it drove Madison Square Garden nuts to hear him singing in Spanish. And uh, just uh, such a memorable moment here in the La Bamba. And it was only on this September tour in the Northeast they played Good Lovin', La Bamba, Good Lovin'. Um, yeah, so La Bamba was played uh, four times. That Providence... Um, it was played at the ne- the next set of shows. I forget where where that what that was at um, Madison Square Garden, and the last one was in Philly on uh, nine twenty three eighty seven, and that's one that's a show I was at. I'd highly recommend checking out the first set from that Philly show. That was the best first set of the tour. Great stuff on that night. Uh, but getting back to the Garden, just the good love and La Bamba, good love and drove the crowd nuts. It was uh, such a great way to finish off the uh, second set. And then the encore, it was a perfect encore for this night, Knocking on Heaven's Door. So none of the typical encores, Knocking on Heaven's Door was pretty new in the encore slot. Uh, Third Dylan song of the night, and uh, Jerry just got so soulful with it. The uh, guitar licks were, you know, uh, just a very beautiful guitar licks. Emotional, soulful, reflective. And it was a great step back song after such a heated second set. Um, it, was, it was a perfect ending. And if you look after Terrapin Station, um, even though it's such a prototype, brilliant Grateful Dead show, they were all cover tunes. Uh, and that's just the, what the Grateful Dead, was, Dead did that was so amazing. They would just take songs and, and make it their own. You, you know, it didn't even matter that it was a cover song. It was a Grateful Dead song. So going down the road... Uh, typical folk song, traditional song, uh, Watchtower, uh, Dylan, uh, Morning Dew, Donnie, uh, Bonnie Dobson, and then uh, Good Lovin', uh, La Bamba, Good Lovin', and uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, going back to Dylan. So it was um, you know, an amazing way, but not a Grateful Dead original there down the end. Uh, but that Morning Dew, that Watchtower, uh, just this celebration at the end, and um, you know, on a night like that, you would just be so thankful. In 1987, you know, after what happened to Garcia in '86, there was such hope uh, that there was such optimism in the air that maybe the Grateful Dead could revive and keep getting better and be better than they ever were before. Uh, the fairy tale didn't turn out like that, but 1987 was miraculous, and it was a fairy tale. And probably the peak moment of uh, of that year was this, uh, this the second part, the post drums of September 18th, 1987 in Madison Square Garden. Also the best audience participation ever. So everybody, thanks for listening again. That's episode seven of the Deadology podcast. Um, if you'd like to check out some of my books online, you go on Amazon, Howard F. Weiner. Um, and there's a neurologist, Howard Weiner. That's uh, not me. I'm the, the guy who writes the fun books, Howard F. Weiner. That's why you want to put the F in there. And um, I also got a website, Tangled Up in Tunes. 
And I'll be back uh, next week with uh, another interesting Grateful Dead related topic. Uh, Peace out and thanks for listening. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes, so everybody hang loose.